This episode of Your Catholic Life is brought to you by Iowa Catholic Radio, connecting listeners with Christ. IowaCatholicRadio.com, and now broadcasting on the free Iowa Catholic Radio app. Welcome in, everyone, to Your Catholic Life, a podcast for Catholics by Catholics, helping you grow in your faith. I'm John Leonetti, your host. Many conversions have taken place because of them, and many more have had their Catholic faith deepen because of their writings. The fathers of the church, they continue to deepen our faith and strengthen our resolve to be disciples of Jesus Christ. To help us learn more about them, I decided to bring on one of the leading experts in the early church fathers, helping us to grow a little bit and to get to know them. We're going to get to know three best-selling author, speaker, and friend, Mike Equilino. Hello, Mike. Hello, John. What does it mean to be a church father? Uh, well, uh, it means that, that you, you have been set apart, really, as one of the great teachers uh, of, of, uh, of the church, uh, but also that, that you come from the, uh, the, the early times of the Church. The Church Fathers are marked by um, holiness uh, and, uh, and orthodoxy. Uh, so they, they lived holy lives, they taught, they, they taught true doctrine, um, but also they, they had Church approval. The Church gave the okay to these guys, and, um, and they, they, they wrote during the early years of the Church. So the Church Fathers wrote, for the most part, during those, those first eight centuries uh, of, um, of, of Christian history. Hmm. Are, are many of them martyrs? In your studies, how many would you say are martyrs? 50%? Well, a lot of them during the first three centuries, of course, because, because at that time Christianity was, was illegal in the empire, and it was often persecuted. Uh, so, um, so, so many of the early fathers died as martyrs. Uh, I, I couldn't give you a number, sure. uh, but but as time went on, of course, uh, the fathers were were mostly renowned for their teaching. Uh, some did die as martyrs and as witnesses for the church in the later centuries. But for the most part, those later those later fathers uh, managed to to live out their lives and die in their beds. You've been pretty much a go-to now, I think, for modern Catholics when it comes to studying and reading on the church fathers. How do you get so interested in them? How did I get so interested? That's a good question. Huh? Um, I, I I can remember a couple of points along the way. One is when I was a kid, John, I wanted to be an archaeologist. I wanted to be a guy who was there digging in the desert, and he suddenly found some vast structure that had immense historical importance. Hmm. Uh, you know, that's how I imagined the life of an archaeologist to be. Uh, but later on, I realized that archaeologists really do painstaking work with toothbrushes and toothpicks, uh, and it seemed boring at that point. So, so uh, eventually I, I discovered that, uh, that you, could, you could do archaeological work of a sort just by reading the Church Fathers and finding the message that's there, a message that's, that's largely been lost to the modern world, and rediscovering some of these, these, these ancient voices. And at, at one point I remember reading a news story that a great number of sermons of St. Augustine had been found in a monastery. And, uh, and the news story was giving, giving uh, quotations from some of these, these sermons, and they seemed fresh. They could have been preached last Sunday in mm. my parish to great effect. And, uh, and, and that really piqued my interest. And at that point, I started reading the Fathers more diligently. And um, I had a co-worker who had a complete set of the Fathers of the Church. And so he used to, he used to lend me the... Uh, the books every now and then, and I, 
and I uh, and I started to read more deeply in the Fathers. Eventually, my friend Bob Lockwood, who was then president of our Sunday Visitor, asked me to write a book about the Fathers, and that was really my great opportunity to, uh, and my great excuse to spend a lot of time studying the Fathers. I've got two good friends uh, that converted in Protestant seminary when they started reading the church early church fathers they converted to catholicism and and more and more it seems to me that many different people of different denominations are coming to catholicism because of them i don't know if you see that but i do uh, that's absolutely true you know uh, marcus grodi uh was was a protestant pastor he mm. was a presbyterian pastor and uh he became a catholic and founded the coming home network which helps protestant clergy uh, to get on their feet again and find a way to make a living uh, once they convert to Catholicism. Well, he, I, I can remember several years ago when he, when he really marked a milestone. He had helped his 1,000th Protestant pastor become a Catholic. Not 1,000, wow. that's wow. a lot of Protestant clergy mm. that came in to the Church through his ministry. And I asked Marcus at that time, out of 1,000, how many have come into the Catholic Church by way of the Church Fathers? And he said, hmm, out of a thousand, a thousand. Wow. So that's the role that the fathers play. It's not that Scripture is diminished, but so many of these men and women, these Protestant clergy, uh, they discovered that the fathers were authoritative readers of Scripture. Hmm. They're not diminishing Scripture, but they're coming to know Scripture in a deeper way. The fathers witnessed to the authority of the Scripture in the early Church, and also the history of interpretation of Scripture. What they find in the Fathers is just light cast on some of the obscure passages of, um, of the Old Testament and the New Testament. They find wisdom about the relationship of the Old Testament and the New Testament, prophecy and fulfillment. There's so much to be found in the Fathers uh, rather than reading uh, Scripture in light of um, the people who live next door to me, who are wonderful people. But I have a feeling that the Fathers who lived around 100 A.D., knew the world of Jesus Christ and St. Paul a little bit better than my neighbors do today. Mm. So the writings don't really stand alone. I mean, they, they really just stand, uh, of course, on top of Scripture. They, they help us understand Scripture in a whole new way. Absolutely, and, and, and that's, that's a key right there. You know, one of the great converts of the 19th century was Blessed John Henry Newman. He, he began his Christian life as an evangelical, became a high church Anglican, and then became a Catholic, and eventually he was named a cardinal. But he was a great scholar of the fathers, uh, and he was a great translator of the fathers. But Newman, Newman uh, in his pivotal work, brings up this important point. He says that the, the fathers of the church are witnesses, but they're not sufficient witnesses. We need something more. The fathers of the church need to lead us into the church of the fathers. Mm. We need that context of the church, the living tradition today. Otherwise, we could fall into the habit of cherry-picking quotations from the fathers to, to, to lend authority to our own pet theories, the way so many people cherry-pick from the scriptures in order to, to, uh, to give authority to their own crackpot theories. Um, we don't want to fall into that habit, and so we want to live in the church in which the fathers lived. Newman ends his last book as an Anglican with this great line. He says, he says uh, you know, if, if, if Athanasius or Jerome were suddenly to find himself alive today, there is no doubt about which church he would attend. 
about which church, uh, you know, would give him the experience most similar to what he knew uh, in the the fourth century, Mm. and that would be the Roman Catholic Church. And I think that people who read the ancient fathers will recognize the life of their parishes in all its richness. Yeah, with all its problems, absolutely. Hmm. But we can see that the Church endures, the Church of the Fathers endures to our own day, uh, despite all of those problems and uh, and challenges from within and without. I, I love how you say, with all of its problems, we can forget that those guys suffered probably more than many of us. Absolutely. You know, we complain and we whine about what's going on in our culture today, and and they had the same problems. They lived in a pornographic culture. You know, that was the Greco-Roman culture of their time, Uh, and, and, and you couldn't attend the public entertainment without being corrupted. They also suffered persecution to the death. There were roundups, there were martyrdoms, there were, there were mass killings sometimes, um, and, uh, and, and that's what was going on. Also, they, they suffered a lot of dissension within the Church. There were heresies in the 1st century, 2nd century, 3rd century, 4th century, and the Church had to struggle to keep its integrity in spite of all of these different problems, all of these different temptations to, uh, to abandon the way. And the church never did. And, uh, and so the fathers really do teach us a way of living, a way of life that works, and it's proven to work. Let's talk about a few of them individually. Three early church fathers that can help us grow in our faith. Who are we going to start with? Uh, well, you know, my favorite from the early fathers is Ignatius of Antioch. Mm. He's one of the apostolic fathers. It's quite likely that, uh, you know, he, he came into contact with the apostles at some point. He was bishop of Antioch in the first century, leading into the second century. So we're talking about that very early generation, the generation after the apostles. Um, and, uh, and he's an interesting guy. He was kind of a rock star in the early church because, as bishop of Antioch, the second city of the empire, uh, you know, he was arrested as a Christian, and he was condemned to die. Now, the Romans wanted to make a big example of him because he was something of a celebrity, so they dragged him all the way across the empire. You know, they, they, they transported him to Rome so that he could die in the capital city. They really wanted to make an example of this guy. And while he was on his way, he wrote letters at the various stops along the way because it's a long journey. It's a long journey to Rome from Antioch in Syria. Uh, it's now in, um, it's now in, in Turkey. Uh, so he, he made the journey with military escort, and he, uh, he wrote letters along the way, and he left us seven letters, uh, six of them to particular churches and one of them to a bishop. And what's interesting about those letters, John, is that they give us uh, kind of a glimpse of what the church looked like at that time. He doesn't make arguments. He doesn't, um, he doesn't say, this is what you've got to believe and this is why. He just assumes the totality of the, the faith. Wow. And what, 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 what's part of that faith? Well, Jesus Christ is true God and true man. He's, he's, he's uh, really witnessing there against different kinds of heretics already, already there as the first century turned to the second. Um, he argues, or he doesn't argue, but he just presents the doctrine of the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. He speaks of the flesh. In Greek, the word is sarks, the flesh of, of Christ uh, in the Eucharist and how it unifies the Church. And he speaks of the blood of God. So there's the real presence there. He speaks of the hierarchy of the church, bishop, priest, deacon, and he witnesses to that repeatedly, talking about the importance of the bishop and his authority. Um, And also he witnesses to the importance of martyrdom. 
the own the the witness that he was going to Rome to give. So in Ignatius, we see so much that we still value today, and we see the life of a typical uh, church. And and the important thing is when you go into Ignatius to read it, thinking. The flocks he's talking about, these little churches along the way, were probably smaller in terms of membership than the parish I, I worship in today. Wow. So it really shows us um, the life of a small church, uh, how it was in the, the first century, second century, and how, how it's lived today as well. It's almost a mirror we're looking at. How did he die? Well, he died as a martyr, we're told. Uh, you know, he, that's why he assumed he was going to Rome. Uh, he, he, he said in one of his letters that he wanted to be ground like wheat in the teeth of lions so that he could be made pure bread for Christ. Wow. So no matter how he oh. died, we know that he saw his own death as a self-offering, a Eucharist, and he compared it to the, to the sacrifice of bread and wine that he offered repeatedly as a priest of Jesus Christ. I'm not praying that prayer, man. I'm not <laughs> praying that prayer. I'll tell you that. Uh, Mike Aquilina, my guest, we're talking about church fathers, three that you really should know. Ignatius of Antioch the first one. Who's the second? Uh, Irenaeus. Irenaeus of Lyon. Mm. Well, we, 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 uh, we give him um, a, a location there in France, but really he grew up in, in Asia Minor and what's now Turkey. And uh, interesting thing about Irenaeus uh, living in the second century uh, is that he's someone who knew Polycarp of Smyrna. And Polycarp of Smyrna is someone who was discipled by the Apostle St. John. So we have a very uh, short succession here from the Apostles to Irenaeus of Lyon. And Irenaeus left us five books of rich theology. Uh, And again, he's writing in the 170s, and he's writing uh, with a particular concern for the rise of the Gnostic heresies, these elitist movements that arose in the Church in the second century. So he's, he's writing his books, and he's, he's drawing often on the apostolic tradition. He's, he's talking about what the apostles taught the next generation and what that next generation passed on to Irenaeus. And he's speaking especially of how that transmission takes place from one generation to the next in the succession of bishops. And he traces the bishops, the line of bishops, back to the apostles. And he's especially concerned about the line of succession in Rome, which he, which he says has the primacy within the Church. So in Irenaeus, we find um, uh, so much uh, that's going to teach us about the history of the Church, but also the authority within the Church. Uh, Ir- Irenaeus, is, um, Irenaeus is, is concerned about Gnosticism, as I said, and, and his writing shows us um, a turn in the concerns of the church. Uh, you know, in the early second century, the church was concerned about outside enemies. So we have the rise of the apologists, these people who rose up to explain and defend the church against these hostile uh, attackers outside. Well, in the lifetime of Irenaeus, suddenly we find enemies within the church, mm. people perverting the true doctrine, and they need to they they need to have a response, a faithful response. And Irenaeus rises up to give that response. So, uh, in his five books, he really emerges as the first kind of systematic theologian in the history of the church, but he's doing his theology with the authority of a bishop. And it seems that the, the early church fathers talked about authority a lot in the church. 
Well, they do, because you have to, somebody's got to settle these disputes. The buck has to stop somewhere. You can't just have this argument uh, about the nature of Jesus Christ going on and on and on with no resolution forever. Is he God or isn't he? Do we worship him or don't we? What has been the, 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 uh, the habit of the church, the tradition of the church, since the beginning? And the fathers really did say that, 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 that the gospel tells us something definitively about, um, about, about these key, these core truths. And, and we've got to stay true to what the gospel tells us. Hmm. Uh, so yes, authority is very important, especially as the church is being threatened um, from inside and from outside. Uh, and I think that's always going to be the case. So we've got Ignatius of Antioch, we've got Irenaeus of Lyon. Who's our third? Well, I want to jump ahead a couple of centuries there to St. Augustine of Hippo. And he's an uh, early father of the Church. Sometimes yes, forgotten. Yes, he is. He, he's, he, you know, he, he was born in the 4th century, and he lived well into the 5th century. But he saw great changes happening. Uh, uh, he saw the decline of the Roman Empire. He saw uh, Ro- Rome itself breached by, by the Goths, and, uh, and he lived to, to see his own city, Hippo, in North Africa, uh, breached by the Vandals. So, so we see the end of one world and the beginning of another world. The interesting thing about Augustine is he was such a titanic genius. He wrote so much, and he wrote so well, and he thought so clearly. And he was able to synthesize so much of what had gone before him, uh, the, the best of pagan civilization, the best of the, the thinking of, of his Roman ancestors, uh, and he was able to purify it of, of all of, its, um, all of its, its pagan elements and elevate it uh, for Christian use. And what he did through his many writings was lay a foundation for medieval civilization Eventually, the church would rebuild a culture on, on the ruins of Rome, and it would do so largely in the West through the thinking, the thought of, of St. Augustine. He was a giant, and he was able to purify so much of what had gone, gone before him, systematize it, and lay it out there so that people could, could receive it readily. Mike, I could interview on these guys forever. I can't thank you enough. Friends, and I can't point to his books enough. Uh, where's your website? How can people get your books? Well, easiest way is to visit fathersofthechurch.com, fathersofthechurch.com, and there you'll, you'll find out about, uh, about the writing I've been doing, find some links, and, uh, and I, I hope you'll enjoy your time with the fathers. Fathersofthechurch.com. You also uh, write a lot on the women of the church. I do. I have a book um, called The Witness of Early Christian Women, uh, Mothers of the Church, and, uh, and, and that, that book is out from our Sunday visitor, and it deals with so many of the great uh, early Christian witnesses uh, who were women. Uh, the interesting thing about that is we really don't have uh, the, anything similar in the history of, of uh, the pagan world at that time. Wow. Christianity gave women the, their voice. And Christianity uh, enabled them to to, uh, to rise up and even become leaders in the church. Check out all of Mike Aquilina's books. They come heavily endorsed by me. Uh, Mike Aquilina, God bless you. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, John. All Anytime. Right. So there you have it, friends. The early church fathers. There are few things that strengthen my faith more than studying the people that have gone before me. And with a faith like these fathers, I guarantee your faith will strengthen too. Really, check out Mike's books, friends really do today. Thank you so much for joining me. Make sure to share this and other episodes of Your Catholic Life on your Facebook and Twitter, inviting those you know to take part in the show. Check us out at Your Catholic Life 
podcast.com or my website, johnleanetti.com, to have these sent to you each and every week. I'm John Leonetti signing off here on Your Catholic Life. Remember, the only way to happiness is by holiness. Be confident in Christ's mercy and his love today. Thank you.